When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Boy George and Culture Club are ready to dazzle Wolf Trap in Vienna, Virginia this Thursday night. I spoke to Boy George about what to expect from the show and about the band's career from Do You Really Want to Hurt Me to Karma Chameleon. Hi, Jason. Hey, Boy George. Thanks so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C. You're welcome. Uh, we're here talking because Boy George and Culture Club are coming to the famous Wolf Trap in Virginia on Thursday, September 1st. I think the English beat is opening up for you. Um, it's going to be a cool show. What What are we going to hear? Obviously, you have so many greatest hits you could do. Is it? But I also want to know, is there anything newer you're doing? I know Culture Club had life in 2018. You did your solo stuff, cool karaoke uh, during the pandemic. But is it a mix of sort of the old and the new? It is a lot of hits, obviously, because that's what keeps the crowd in your pocket. So you always start with the biggest songs. And we tried to kind of find some obscure songs of ours to stick in as well that sort of hardcore fans might say, you never do that song. You know, there's <laughs> always arguments in the band of what, which old songs we've got. I mean, I guess we feel lucky that we have so many hits so we can go, oh, we do this and this. So yeah, we mix up, we do some great covers, some unexpected covers. Um, um, you know, and yeah, we just, you know, there's a lot of love out there for us and, you know, we give it back, you know, we just, it's like a whole, the energy, you know, at the shows has just been so electric. Awesome. And I should have asked, where are you calling us from? Are you across the pond at the moment as we speak? No, I'm in Utah. I've had a really nice day in Utah. We had a show here the other night and I've been here for three days soaking up the mountain energy and just having a really nice time. And then we're heading off tonight to to play, and the show keeps rolling. Awesome, just bouncing around the globe trotter like you are. All right, cool. Well, whenever I have someone on, I want to get in. I want to get into some of the the big hits that you mentioned. But uh, I always love to sort of go a little chronologically if we can. I know you were born in Ken England in '61. What what sort of like music did you listen to growing up? Like I want to know what what were some of those early seeds that you know would eventually become sort of your new AV sound. But I want to know sort of the origin story of Boy George's music. <laughs> yeah, I mean I have to say because I'm a Gemini, I'm a bit of a cultural sponge. So even as a kid, I was listening to like 30s jazz, anything, any sleeve with a great cover, you know, any <laughs> album sleeve with a great cover, I would want to know, well, this looks interesting. Is it interesting? So there was a mixture of things I heard on the radio, you know, you know, like the big hit Sonny and Cher, early Jacksons, all of that stuff. And then I really got into soul music in a big way, American soul music, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Um, you know, the stylistic, you know, just really into Marvin Gaye, all of that stuff. And then reggae in England, like reggae in the 70s really blew my mind. Because, you know, London is a real 
Jamaican city. There's a lot of Jamaican people living in London. Yeah. And that music was just blaring from everywhere. So, yeah. And then punk rock. <laughs> of course. <laughs> about, like the best thing that could ever happen to a teenager, punk rock. <laughs> the best thing I ever do a teenager punk rock. I love that. I love that. And I also love that you described yourself as a cultural sponge because you had formed Culture Club. It all ties together in 81. Yeah, I would say that, you know, my musical education started really in the sort of early 70s. But I picked up some, obviously the Beatles, you know, uh, were around, but they hadn't really become what they were going to become. They, they hadn't sort of taken us where they were going to take us. So, you know, mid 70s, all that stuff, you know, I was going back a lot, listening to old music, discovering things I didn't know about. Because, you know, I listened to Bowie in the 70s. Bowie sang about Bob Dylan. Bowie sang about Cahill Gibran, who was a, you know, Muslim poet. So Bowie led us to a lot of interesting artists, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, you know, Patti Smith, all of that stuff. You know, once you start listening to music, it just pulls you all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah, because you fall, you you love one artist, and then you're like, well, what inspired them? Then you go down that rabbit hole, and then they, oh, it's just a never-ending web of of awesome music, <laughs> and it all influenced your. It stuff. all leads back to Bach, I think. I all think leads back to, back to Bach. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it starts. For many. It probably you know, does. Yeah. There's this black hole noise now. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you you trace the family tree of music back, it probably goes back to Bach. You're probably right. <laughs> um, well, cool. Tell me about the formation of Culture Club in 81. I, you know, it's during the whole people have called it the new romantic period. I guess later they'd call it the second yeah, British invasion. Big, but... You know, I would, I would say at that point, I was working in a shop. I was a bit of a face. Everyone knew me, but I wasn't really doing anything. I was just a show off, you know, with no job. <laughs> 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 and all my friends were starting bands you know a lot of my friends were in punk bands already and then this whole new romantic thing started and people were just you know getting more experimental and interesting and the clubs were getting exciting and I decided I'm gonna start a band you know I'd always been told that I could sing I always used to get comments on my voice when I was a kid people say oh, you've got a lovely voice you know and <laughs> eventually and i wanted to be a goth let me tell you the beginning of culture we were called we were called in praise of lemmings that was our original name and so far away from the jolly you know group that we became but you know i was into susie and the banshees i have a susie's tattoo on my left arm and you know i wanted to be a goth but you know bands a lot of bands they sort of create themselves accidentally and i think that is what from the culture club there were so many strong personalities in the group it just morphed into this really interesting sort of you know melting pot of music that wasn't very english it wasn't very american but it's soul and took and you know enjoyed all the different flavors from around the world reggae you know even you know latin of course and jazz jazz and everything really Oh, yeah. And that first album was a smash, Kissing to be Clever in 81. Uh, the, the biggest hit, of course, was Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Um, I mean, it, yeah. tell me, why do you think it, you know, why do you think it spoke to listeners so much? I mean, you, you've written extensively about, you know, who or who it might not have been about, but we don't have to talk about that. I just want to talk about why you thought it spoke to listeners who, I don't know, maybe were falling in love, but fearing heartbreak, you know, do you really want to hurt me? I mean, is that why it connected, you think? I think it's a... Uh... I think when I was a kid as well, you know, growing up in the world that I grew up in and being very different, I definitely had a different sense of what the world felt about me. And that crept very much into my writing. 
And also, you know, if I look at what I write now, I never write from a victim point of view anymore. Those early songs are very like, everyone hates me. <laughs> the world's horrible. No one loves me, you know. So I feel like I was just expressing my kind of younger self, my younger unexperienced, really. You know, I hadn't really been anywhere. I wrote that song before I'd even traveled. You know, it's quite crazy that, you know, I did this song that touched so many people, but my own experience of the world was quite limited at that point. I just had a really strong point of view. <laughs> Are you, so you're saying there was a bit of a naivety, uh, victimized victim complex that you that you uh, had back then before, you know, but and yet you've reached people. So I love funny. that. You should call the next album. We should call the next album Naive Victim Complex. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's hilarious well no the act- from, the, from the insecure days that's what it should have been <laughs> that's great no but it was it was huge and you know and i'll tumble for you it was on there too that was so playful and time clock of the heart so many it added all up you won the grammy for for best new artist that that was a huge deal and you you know it was that strike well you just listed the first four songs of our set you know you just literally listed i'll tumble for you it's a miracle um uh, move away we do a, a great cover of that bread song everything i own which i had a big hit with as a solo artist so we just sing along sing along sing along don't stop singing more awesome so yeah so all the ones i just lifted is, is the the set openers i love it well people are gonna love to come out and hear all those yeah um i do want to know about the, yeah, the i do want to know about the color by numbers album that um that was like i mean it might be your yeah, most yeah. acclaimed but karma chameleon is so catchy and i i'll tell you how i interpret it then you can tell me what you think actually you meant but i i always yeah. read it as someone who's like you know they're they're so worried about fitting in trying to be a chameleon that they aren't really true to who they actually are and then and i guess your your thesis is that there's some sort of karma to pay for that trying to fit in is that am i close <laughs> oh very close and it's it's kind of not just about because when you write about other people especially if you write about someone in an accusatory way you know you did this to me you know you, you know remember that you're only talking about your own experience at that moment and so you'll only ever see it from your side but i think once you've made a song it almost becomes the property of the listener and they're allowed to kind of as we all do, you know, this suits my relationship, you know, that's what he does to me, that's what she does to me. You know, it's that stuff that is the common interest that we have with other people because love is is complex. Uh, it really, really is. And then I noticed, you know, after, you know, those first couple albums, we're talking about like very personal sort of stories and of love, heartbreak, that kind of mm. stuff. Um, but then then as as the albums go on, you become a bit more of like a, a global topics. Like, you know, the third album, you had the war song and that man, I'm, I'm telling you that that yeah. line, that line war is stupid. People are stupid. I mean, that that's still relevant today. Russia, Ukraine. I mean, say no more. But I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about sort of how you think you were sort of evolving to tackle more global themes and stuff like that well that song has come out of the mothballs because that song just you know we got so much criticism for that song and we took it to heart so that song was buried for years and then i was somewhere and i heard a dj playing some crazy 12 inch bootleg of of the war song (laughs) and i heard that riff and i was like we should do this because it's kind of it's, it's gone past its kind of shame stage. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, shame stage? Yeah, it's the kind of song that Bob Dylan, it was curdled Bob Dylan's morning milk, wouldn't it? We're like, oh my God, <laughs> we get deeper here. But, you know, it has a kind of beautiful innocence about it. And I, 
I feel like I've made up for it lyrically yes. more recently. I think my lyrics have got a bit more kind of, you know, simple in some ways and, and more complex, really. I love it. I love it. Well, if that one, if that one was sort of, you know, you know, more of a global idea like war, um, I also wanted to ask you about, I guess, around the same time and maybe even that same year that that song came out, you did the Band-Aid thing with Do They Know It's Christmas, raising money for famine in Ethiopia. Yeah, I think I think you're the second voice on the track, right? <clears throat> After Paul Young and before George Michael. I think you're second, right? Um was it yeah, challenge, I mean, challenging to drop in on something like that and collaborate with so many, you know, Bono and all? <laughs> it's got to be a challenge. Maybe everyone feels the same, though. Isn't that the funny thing? You know, because, you know, I think even as an artist, you meet other artists and, you know, you think you get a kind of interest. You know, you think, oh, I understood what they're about. But you, you very rarely, you know, even I think even people you know well, it's hard to understand. So the kind of relationship between the artist and, and, uh, and the person is is always an interesting one. I think that's what people fall in love with. They fall in love with the sort of contradiction. I know it didn't answer your question, but you know, I think um, you know when you're being personal as an artist, and you know, to some extent, I mean, around that time, you know, he's talking about, you know, there was a lot of vulnerability, there was a lot of outbursts, there was a lot of personality. You know, I was very public. Everything that went on in my life was extremely public all the time. You know, and that shape the music that we made, shape the decisions that we took, you know, it's a crazy time. It really was. It was it was a crazy time, but uh a lot of good music came out of it. And I, I mean honestly that I feel like that band-aid thing it, it, it sort of was before the live aid concert in eighty five, before we are the world in eighty five. It sort of like, you know, was you know kicked off that sort of whole trend. But I think that moment though, that moment, you know, band aid live aid, it's it's got more iconic, you know, because of the distance. You know what I mean? At the time, it was a lot of politics around that time. I don't think anyone realised how massive it was until we lost Freddie Mercury and Bowie and all of that. Yeah. Suddenly, that moment becomes, you know, a massive, a more massive moment. So yeah. history can change, you know, as well. Oh, absolutely. You mentioned Bowie. Um, you know, speaking of like, and you know, and, and earlier you mentioned when you were, you know, a kid, you were just a, interested in like, oh, if that album sleeve is interesting, I'm gonna. It looks good. Let's see if it sounds yeah. good. How important was, yeah. you know, your metaphorical sleeve? Uh, you know, the the whole look, the visual, the David Bowie androgyny, the whole aura of Culture Club. But do you think the look of it was just as as important as the actual music? Well, I think you know, an artist maybe even a human being as a totality. What you wear says a lot about who you think you are, how you carry yourself. You know, if you look extreme and you walk into a room full of people, you have to have a certain personality to be able to carry that. Or you can also be uptight. A lot of artists dress up, they create this persona, and they want to keep everyone away from them. You know? <laughs> In case people get too close and realise it's not really who they are. And, you know, for me, I've had so many very public experiences that I kind of feel that I'm comfortable with who Boy George is, you know, because obviously Boy George is me. I'm not like talking about him like he's the third person, but <laughs> the way people treat me when I'm in my finery, you know, is very different. And so that's going to alter the way that I behave as well. Yeah, well, it, it's it's been fun following. But I'm lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm always lovely. Always lovely. 
Ton, tons of fans through it all, through the ups and downs, all well documented. We don't need to even go into all of it on here, but we, you know what I mean? I, the, the fans stick with you and are excited to see you at, at Wolf Trap. Um, thanks for doing this sort of abbreviated deep dive on some of those tracks. I mean, we didn't even get to move away and I just want to be loved. I mean, talk about your reggae influences on, on, on that one. But, um, yeah, 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 I mean, there's, there's, there's so many, so many songs. We, I mean, you can hear them all at Wolf Trap in Virginia. I guess, I guess before, sort of in, in closing, like, what would you, what would you, you know, years, decades after you and I are both gone and maybe someone discovered, mm-hmm. digs this out of a fossil and listens to, <laughs> listens to this interview, what would you want the lasting legacy of not only Boy George and Culture Club, but just, just that whole new romantic period too, like your whole new wave sound? What what do you, what will be the legacy when music yeah, history I don't, is written? I don't really think of my, I'm quite eclectic. I mean, in the last year I put out 38 tracks. I must have released more tracks than any other artist, surely. I don't know, I haven't checked yet, but I'm on this kind of mission to just put music out with no promotion, just let people find it. Because some of my favorite music, I found through friends in their bedroom, someone would be at a party, they'd play me some track. And I find that about music all different types of ways. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I just carry, because I realize now that everything already exists, there, every guitar twang is the cousin of another guitar twang. Every drum has been played and you know every note has been sung so you're really just doing it from your perspective and that's where the magic is i think the magic is in the person that does it and what they're wearing i think is part of that what they're wearing what their politics are what they eat you know so much of it is important because it creates the character that you're putting out there so well said. Well, we can't wait to see the magic that you're talking about at Wolf Trap in Virginia. It'll be Thursday, September 1st, Boy George and Culture Club. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to call in. We really, really appreciate it here in the nation's capital. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. All right. Be well. We'll see you soon. See you soon, man. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.